Welcome to She's Running, the podcast all about women who are running for office, from school board to Senate and everything in between. I'm Emily Jackson. Today's guest is Lisa Hunter, who is running for city council in Washington, D.C. This week, a friend of mine told me that because of me, she had registered to vote. And the weird thing is, she was kind of apologetic about it. She said, I know I should have done it before now, but... But nothing, girlfriend. Good for you. High five for registering to vote. We need to destigmatize being late bloomers. To anything, really, but especially voting. Voting for the first time should be exhilarating. It should be a moment that you're proud of, no matter when it comes. People need to feel comfortable voting and with the whole voting process. For some reason, voting has become lumped in as one of the most awkward things we do, kind of like mailing a package. Can anyone actually tell me how much postage I need? Why does the guy at FedEx always make me feel like an idiot for not knowing what level of getting there quickly I need? It's a box of books. How hard can it be to get it across the state? Wow, tangent. Anyway, getting back on track. Everyone has felt weird when they go to vote. Do I do paper or electronic ballot? Do you fill in the full square or just put an X? Is the paper ballot actually getting counted or did I just put it into a shredder? We all have questions. And we all feel like an idiot sometimes. Me, probably more than most. So here's my suggestion. If you're an experienced voter, reach out to your extended friend group and let them know that if they have questions, you're here to help. Not sure if you're registered? Don't know where to vote? Ask me. I'll help you figure it out. Let your friends know that you're there if they need help and you won't judge or make them feel stupid. And hey, if you want to use an embarrassing voting story to help others feel better about themselves, you can have my most recent one. The Texas primary was about a week ago and I went to my polling place. Both Democrats and Republicans voted in the same school gym but had to go to different tables. I walked over to my party's table and a young man said, you look like a Republican. I thought it was a weird thing to say, but I also thought he might have been teasing or flirting or whatever it is the kids do nowadays. So I laughed awkwardly as I pulled out my ID and he just stared at me. Then he said a little slower and with slightly more emphasis, are you a Democrat or Republican? And then I realized that's what he had asked me the first time and not, you know, the other thing. Okay, I don't think I've seen anybody do it before. So your slogan is forward six. Yes. And it's like a play on forward and forward. I mean, it's an easy concept, but it's subtly brilliant. <laughs> I'm uh, I am thrilled that you sort of <laughs> caught the the subtlety of it. Yeah, honestly, it was really um, it's the 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 low the slogan for her. <laughs> For the campaign is your ward forward, mm-hmm. um, and then we have like a little triangle arrow that you know makes it look look like it's going forward. Um, and I'm quite I, I haven't seen any other candidates use that play on words before, so it's a little. Um, it, it, some people might say it's okay. I actually think it's brilliant, um, <laughs> and I'm glad uh, you caught it. Yeah, I think we will definitely see more people using that. Yeah, I mean, the other interesting thing is that I've had a lot of support from a couple of um, progressive uh, women in the ward here in Ward mm-hmm. Six, um, who have who have a like branding and um, graphic design background, who have been helping me, and they sort of, I just said, you know, I'd love to have some sort of play on words with this, like 
show me what you got. And they came back to me with what we now have as our slogan and our branding, which is really, really incredible to know that somebody here in the ward helped to develop that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I've got a ton of questions here for you. So let's go ahead and get your introduced. So who are you and for what are you running? My name is Lisa Hunter and I'm running for DC Council to represent Ward 6. Why did you decide to run? Like what motivated you? You know, it took a couple of, um, there were some flashpoints that made me decide to run. I would say, you know, first and foremost, becoming a mom. Um, Mm -hmm. That experience has given me a sense of how difficult it is to really make ends meet in Washington, D.C. And while I was on maternity leave, I had the opportunity to meet with a lot of other women and and, uh, mothers who were facing the same sort of, you know, the same sort of crunch on their ability to stay in the community. Washington, D.C. is an amazing city. Um, I have lived in Ward 6 um, in, in our current home since 2013 with my husband and our dog. And we became parents in 2016. And, you know, the other thing is at the time when our daughter JJ was born, the DC council actually passed a law for universal paid family leave, which is a tremendous step in the right direction to making sure that, you know, new parents as well as um, people who have a child or a parent that falls sick, that these families have, you know, some bit of relief that they can support their families and their, you know, whatever transition their family is going in, under in order to, you know, without the, th- the fear of losing their job, mm-hmm. um, as well as the, the, the sort of safety net of knowing that they will not lose out on receiving some portion of their paycheck. And so that was really great. But what I also found happening in 2017 is the business community mobilized around efforts to attack the law, which would have repealed and replaced our paid family leave law. But what we saw happening in the D.C. Council in 2017 is five different bills that would have changed the financing structure, put the decisions around who gets to benefit from paid leave Uh, back in the hands of employers. And that was really troubling to me. And so at the time, you know, for about the first six months or so of 2017, I really sort of sat back, was watching this unfold, um, joined the paid family leave campaign um, advocates, and thought to myself, you know, somebody should really step up and somebody should really do something about this in a way that pushes our, our policies forward in the, and really supports our working families. And uh, over time, it was just clear that our council member was not that person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I saw him take votes against raising the tipped minimum wage. In D.C., the tip, the regular minimum wage goes up to $15 an hour in 2020, which is fantastic. But it's a nice cover for people for the people on the council that voted against raising the tipped minimum wage, which is a minimum wage that, you know, servers earn. And today they're earning three dollars and thirty three cents an hour. And it is incumbent upon the employer to make up the difference if their tips don't cover um, the difference between the regular minimum wage and the tip minimum wage. But we know that that's not actually happening. And so when I think about you know, the kinds of policies that benefit women, benefit people of color, benefit working class and low wage workers, 
you know, to know that our, that we as a progressive community did not have a member vote in favor of raising this hit minimum wage or even eliminating it altogether, um, that speaks volumes about the, the sort of moral position of our council member, as well as, you know, his unwillingness to um, fight for people that really are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was a combination of, you know, issues that impact working class people, families. Um, and of course, there are other issues that I've been following as well that just culminated into this decision to jump in there because nobody else was jumping into the race. And so I am now the Democratic uh, only person in the in the race, but for the incumbent. And, you know, my hope is that I am making sure that D.C. has a choice, uh, making sure that our elected um, representative is being held accountable for his votes and his record. But I also believe that when you look at the D.C. Council, we only have four out of 13 members who are women. We as a community have never elected uh, a Latino. And as somebody who identifies as a Latina, you know, it's really, I saw an opportunity here to elevate voices that have been just neglected for so long. So for a multitude of reasons, I decided to jump into the race. (laughs) And you have an interesting political background. Your career, it seems like, was pointing you kind of in the direction of federal politics. You know, you worked for the Obama campaign in 2008 and 12. Then you worked at the Department of Health and Human Services, right? Correct. And actually, I was on the campaign in 2008. I moved to Washington after uh, President Obama was elected And shortly thereafter, I was able to intern for a member on the Hill uh, before getting a job as a staff assistant on the Hill. And then I guess it was 2010, right after the Affordable Care Act passed, I went to work for the Department of Health and Human Services on implementation. So you've done all these great like federal things, but now you're running for council member. What made you decide to go local instead of federal? You know, I think... I've talked to a lot of people about this. One of the main reasons why I decided to go local is because you walk around our community. It's amazing. We're a vibrant community. We have a lot of diversity, a lot of people who have been here for a while, but we also have a quickly gentrifying community, which means that, you know, right on our front doorstep, we're seeing, you know, pretty substantial racial and economic disparities going on. And Like I said, I think having been on maternity leave and having really gotten a feel for the things that are putting a pinch on some of my neighbors, um, that sort of flipped a switch for me, which was, why am I, you know, worried about what's going on at the federal level? I think, you know, there's a lot to be worried about, let's be clear. Mm -hmm. Um, But where I know that I can make a difference and where I know that I have experience at the grassroots level is you know, at the local level. So my first job out of college was to serve in the Peace Corps. Um, I moved to Guyana, which is in the Caribbean, and became a literacy teacher, teaching primary school aged children how to read. But I did a lot more than just teaching. I, you know, worked on HIV and AIDS prevention and education. I also worked on uh, domestic violence issues. Uh, and domestic abuse issues, even within my my small village. 
I know that one of my biggest assets is the ability to connect with voters, to connect with people in the community. And it's really hard to continue to focus on the federal when you see people who are in need and people who are vulnerable in the community. And I knew that I can, I knew that I had the skills and the determination and the heart to help people who are, you know, marginalized in our community. Um, and so that's sort of where I thought I can make a difference here. I know I can make a difference here. And if nothing else, holding our political leaders accountable at the local level is more important than ever. And 2016, even though that was a federal election, what we really saw was we need to see more of ourselves mm-hmm. in positions um, in elected office, not just at the federal level, but at the state and local level. And I firmly still believe that. And I am working to um, hopefully change the way that our local politics works because I've, I think we've been asleep at the wheel and I think we've all been focused on the federal more so than we'd like to admit. And the more you dig into this, it's like peeling back layers of an onion. There's plenty of work to be done right here, right on our block. So what are the biggest issues facing DC residents? (sighs) Well, um, (laughs) I would say, especially in our community. So I'll Um, For folks who are familiar with Washington, D.C., the ward that I am running in is vast. It's the only ward that actually touches all four quadrants of the city. And so it starts at the wharf, uh, waterfront, Navy Yard, Capitol Hill, H Street Corridor, parts of Noma and parts of Shaw. And these are incredibly diverse neighborhoods. And what we've seen in the last, you know, five to ten years has been an intense acceleration of development. And what happens is when we've, as we've been developing and erecting these new buildings, there is a small portion that's affordable housing, quote unquote, but at the same time, you know, you see rental units going for, you know, 3,000, 3,000 bucks, you know, for like a studio, an efficiency studio. And so that kind of disparity in terms of like the cost of living in our communities um, tends to force people out of their homes. And when I did some more digging into what's really going on, some of the most um, costly and biggest projects that we have in D.C. are all housed in our ward. And much of that is due to the fact that I think people generally like the idea of we should be revitalizing communities and we should be investing in our communities, but we should be doing it in a way that doesn't displace longtime residents. And so I've talked to, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, dozens of families and um, neighbors who are, you know, terrified looking at these new buildings opening up, um, looking at the fact that they're not hiring in new restaurants, for instance, or or new um, shops. They're not hiring from the community. They're also not employing people from the community at, you know, the promised <laughs> rate of hiring uh, for construction of these buildings. And so there are a lot of problems and a lot of disruption that occur as a result of some of these new buildings coming in. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have all the solutions because, you know, I frankly, I don't. But what I do see is we need a more empathetic, um, compassionate approach to these projects and ensuring that people who live here can afford to continue to stay in their community. 
And so you see people leaving, you see churches leaving, and it's when you think about the fabric and the core of our community, I mean, to see them sort of being forced out is is tragic. Um, so I would say definitely housing, affordable housing is one of the major issues impacting our community as well as gentrification. Um, and certainly nobody wants to be thought of as being part of the problem. My husband and I, when we moved into this community, I mean, we didn't think that our, you know, when we were looking for a house, we didn't think this was going to be on our list because it was just too expensive. And we somehow locked, lucked out. But for many of our peers, you know, and, and for many of our neighbors, uh, owning a home in this ward is nearly impossible. Um, and that's not how it should be. We are a community of inclusion. And we have, I think, a moral obligation to make sure that uh, this community benefits everybody and not just people who can afford to live here. What has the process of running been like for you so far? <laughs> the way I describe it is uh, it is equal parts exhilarating and exasperating. Um, <laughs> it has been an amazing experience and certainly the good days far outweigh the not as good days. The experience has been really interesting. I launched in October and it's been sort it time is really precious. Every day is a new day to interact with people, to learn, to understand what their issues are and what they are concerned about, understand what they like about the community. And that is a, an enormous privilege. And let's be clear, I, you know, not everybody has the resources or the ability to run a campaign, you know, kind of off the side of their desk. I'm running as a new mom. Um, I'm running as somebody who is currently balancing not just motherhood, but also a full-time job. And I'm, you know, making a difference in terms of, you know, forging new relationships through this campaign that um, are honestly, I'm, I just feel so lucky and proud of the campaign and the, and the community that we live in. But I will say it's been interesting and, you know, it's not lost on me that I am the only other person in this race that's providing a viable choice um, to the incumbent. And because of that, I feel an immense responsibility to make sure that I'm elevating the voices of people who have felt like their representative is not speaking for them or mm -hmm. on their side. And that is a privilege, like I said earlier, but one that I take incredibly seriously. And, you know, I want to do right by our community in making sure that I am educating voters, making sure that I am holding our current representative accountable for some of his votes. But I also think I, you know, I'm inspired by the people that I've met. I mean, I've been going to um, talk to public housing advocates who are telling me about the great ideas they have to build a community garden and, you know, the great ideas they have to build a, a children's reading room. That to me is inspiring because even though they have a shoestring budget to do these projects, they are still willing and rallying around these ideas. And, you know, if there's ever a day where I sort of think to myself that I, I could have done better or, you know, that why, why am I doing this? 
I just think about these incredible people and community leaders, church leaders, teachers that that are really like our, our local heroes. And so I'm, you know, very, very um, excited about the experience that I'm having. I think the other thing that I want to mention is that the number of uh, progressive young women who have come out to volunteer and to intern with my campaign that in and of itself is incredibly encouraging. We just came out of, you know, we're still sort of limping and licking our wounds <laughs> from from the Trump election. Um, and I have to say the community uh, that that election galvanized is coming out in full force. And so I am incredibly encouraged by the fact that so many new voices are coming to the table to lend their support, lend their expertise, volunteer, help however they can, because they understand how important it is for us to start electing people who look like us, who talk like us, who bring um, our passion and beliefs and progressive values to the table. That, to me, is incredibly inspiring and galvanizing and makes me wake up every day and work twice as hard um, to make sure that I'm doing right by my supporters and also by my community. And on that note, you've been endorsed by both Run for Something and the American Women's Party. So it seems like you're doing something right. Seems like it. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's right. And I was also endorsed by Vote Pro-Choice. So, you know, these endorsements are incredibly meaningful to me. I am so humbled and so proud to have earned um, the endorsement of these groups, particularly because I think it's so important um, that these groups are mobilizing and cultivating excitement around, you know, new talent, uh, progressive millennials, uh, women, and people who are really our allies um, in making, you know, our progressive voices heard. This is a, it's, yeah, I think, you know, I'm still working on other really exciting endorsements, which I hope to be able to relay to you at some point. But in the meantime, I think this is, it's indicative of a movement that really started the day after Trump was elected and mm-hmm. the importance that uh, these groups have, not just on electing and flipping the House and the Senate, but also just making sure that they are supporting, you know, a pipeline of candidates who are eager to change the face of who's representing them at every level of government. And that's that's just plain amazing. What has surprised you the most about running for office? Mm. I like to think that our community, I know our community, is very active. We pride ourselves in being very progressive and holding, um, you know, very left-leaning values when it comes to inclusion and when it comes to big tent politics. But what I found is that even in a progressive area like ours, we still have um, a handful of uh I'm running into uh, a system and a political machine that was built to keep people like me from running, much less winning an election um, locally. And I've had to talk to voters about the fact that we've had our last few council members um, selected for us and the importance of making sure, you know, this is uh, a community that went 92% for Hillary. Um, We obviously have a very left-leaning community that's 
excited about electing people who share those values. And the challenge that I've faced, I think one of the things that sort of surprised me is for a, a campaign like mine, I'm not, I'm never going to raise as much money as the incumbent. I'm never going to be as plugged into, you know, the local power brokers in the city as the incumbent. And somehow I, I actually think that's a strength of mine because like I said, it's 2018. I, you know, I look at people who are running a campaign on re-election. We should be absolutely scrutinizing every person that is running for re-election this year because people should have a choice when they go to the ballot, um, the ballot box. They should actually know that you have a choice. You have the status quo and then you have the promise of a new leader and new leadership. Like I said, I, you know, I've been a little surprised at the level of, I don't know what to call it. I, I guess I would say it's a fear around somebody challenging the status quo or a fear of people facing the fact that their member is really a, a purple uh, legislator in a very deep blue ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people are a little rattled by the fact that they they see somebody who is coming in as an anti-establishment challenger and will sort of, you know, say things or try and intimidate me from actually running. That's not progressive. That's not democratic. Um, and it certainly doesn't further our community and the kinds of um, local policies that we ought to be enacting. And so I would say that has been surprising to sort of encounter that. I think people have their allegiances and that's fine. But I also think this is a year where we deserve to um, really scrutinize the people that are running for office, especially if they're running for re-election, because we know there's more work to be done. I mean, it doesn't take a person, you know, more than a few blocks walking around our neighborhood to see um, where we're falling short, whether it's homeless people or loiterers or rats or, you know, trash pickup. Like, there's a multitude of hyper-local issues, um, as well as issues that are even bigger than just our community, like wages and housing affordability. You're really using video in your campaign in a nice way. Do you have a team that's helping you do that? We actually conceive of these videos. I I have a kitchen cabinet, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. So I have a group of uh, local people who are helping me develop and through ideation, but also through scripting, et cetera, um, and execution. The... Videos themselves, I, I we've got others in the pipeline, but for now, what I really wanted to do is I think videos are an excellent way of reaching out to voters. One thing that's really different about me is that, listen, I'm just barely, but I still qualify as a millennial. <laughs> and I know that social media has completely transformed how people are engaging with the political process. That to me is an opportunity to engage and activate, you know, support as well as dialogue and discussion around issues that I think people take for granted normally. So I've used videos to talk about myself, my background, um, as well as some of the reasons why I decided to jump in the race. I've used videos to express my gratitude to supporters and voters um, who have come out to volunteer I've used my videos as well to demonstrate the sort of line of succession and the establishment of our local political system and what that means 
when we, you know, continue to uh, elect leaders who are from the same political gene pool. And so I've been able to use videos in a hopefully a, a pretty effective way. And I look forward to continuing to use that as a, a mode of communicating with, with people. The video that turned me on to your campaign was the This Is Your Ward. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty simple idea. Uh, the visual is you, it looks like first thing in the morning before the sun comes up, putting up posters. And you're just, you know, talking over it. It's a really simple visual and idea. I found it very compelling and powerful. I'm glad that that was sort of the message that I was trying to convey through that video was, look, I'm not a politician. I mean, I guess by now I am, but <laughs> like I said, I'm a full-time mom. I'm a full-time employee at a, you know, at an organization that does healthcare. So a lot of what I am doing is really, you know, before work hours, after work hours, on the weekends. And people should know that if they elect me, that I'm going to work really hard uh, to make sure that their voices are being heard and to make sure that, you know, their perspectives are feeding into our political process. That is what I really am trying to convey. And, you know, what I've seen on the other side is, and this isn't just in our ward, but across the city, when you look at our elected officials, we have people who have sort of benefited from the political power broker and uh, those kinds of relationships and the money that comes along with it and access to be able to hold on to these seats. And that is not what I am offering. What I'm offering is somebody who is actually going to do the work and show up. I think one of the interesting sort of contrasts that I've been running into a few times throughout the campaign is the fact that um, I've been going to churches, I've been going to schools, and I've heard, you know, people tell me that they haven't seen their council member since they were elected. That's not the kind of person I am. When I show up, when I commit to a community, I'm committed 110%. But I even saw that happening with some of the local there was, there's a local group that does endorsements that he co-founded earlier in um, the 2000s that endorsed him, even though he didn't show up to a community meeting where all the other candidates vying for an endorsement showed up. And so it's that sort of patronage and that sort of like insider political machine that I am up against and one that I was hoping to, to peel the onion, peel the layers of the onion back and really show voters sort of where their politicians have been coming from and that mm-hmm. I'm different. I'm sure it's a tough race. And I am I know that there's a, hundreds of other women out there fighting a very similar battle. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's always hard to run against an incumbent. But I have found that it, it's, you know, I when I talk to my husband at night, I've been you know, we've had this conversation multiple times throughout this campaign where he says, wow, you're getting Facebook messages, you're getting emails, you're getting people talking to you in person, asking you questions and saying things to you that would they would never ask me if I were running. Mm-hmm. I think that just speaks to the uh, level of structural barriers that exist for new people to come into the election spotlight to sort of have the courage to jump into a race against an incumbent. But I also think it speaks to the challenges and barriers that women face in particular. Oh, definitely. Especially a new mom. I mean, yeah, 
I, I could give you stories, but but I, I completely understand and sympathize and empathize with other women crusaders who are out there putting their, you know, putting their all into a race, um, not because of the glory, not because they want to pad their resume, but because they believe that they can do a better job and that their voices are worthy of being heard and that it's far beyond time for us to start seeing ourselves in office. Where can people find you and your campaign? They can find me at my website, which is lisahunterforward6.com, as well as I'm on all the social media. So I'm on Twitter um, and Instagram, and my handle is lisaforward6. And when I say forward, it's F-O-R-W-A-R-D, and then the number six. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook and posting constantly on my social media. So <laughs> I encourage folks to follow, donate if they can, or just um, reach out. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And that's it for today. Thanks to Lisa Hunter for chatting with me. You can find out more about her and her campaign at lisahunterforward6.com, and that is L-I-S-A-H-U-N-T-E-R-F-O-R-W-A-R-D, and the number six. You can also find her on Facebook at Lisa Hunter for Ward 6, and on Twitter, she's at Lisa for Ward 6. While you're looking Lisa up on all the social channels, you should find and follow this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at She's Running Pod. And if you like what we're doing here, tell a friend about the show. Remember, I'm always looking for suggestions as to who I should have on the show. So hit me up on social or send me an email at she's running pod at gmail.com. And really, you don't have to send me a suggestion. If you've got a question for me or one of my guests, you can shoot that over to me. Anyway, I think that's it. Thanks. Talk to you soon.